0: Welcome to episode 10 of Chasing Majors with Tiger Woods' former caddy Steve Williams and myself, golf journalist Evan Priest. In this episode, we'll explore the unbelievable week of the 2006 Open Championship at Royal Liverpool, when Tiger shelved his driver for 71 holes and produced an iron play performance for the ages. Grieving from the loss of his father Earl, Tiger picked apart Hoylake with laser-like approaches while fending off an incredible Sunday charge from Chris DiMarco. Tiger captured his third Open Championship, his 11th major overall, but perhaps his most emotional victory ever. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by BlueBet, a true blue Aussie betting company. All right, Steve, welcome to episode 10 of Chasing Majors. And, and this is one of my, probably my favorite major championship ever, except for the 2013 Masters, which you also caddied for. <laughs> Bit of bias in there with Adam Scott winning. But um, this is this is the 2006 Open Championship at Royal Liverpool in England. It's nicknamed Hoylake. Um, just your memories of the 2006 British Open when, when, I, when I bring it up. Yeah, look,
1: it was a one of those events that was very, very anticipated simply because nobody had played at Hoy Lake and it has a very good history dating back to the early days and had some great winners on it, which always identifies a great golf course when you see the previous names that have been on that claret jug. So a lot of anticipation. And of course, Liverpool's a pretty exciting sort of a place too. So, um, you know, you go there in the middle of summer and that, but um, yeah, it was a it was a very fond memory of that tournament, and obviously... Most memorable because Tiger had just lost his father, and it was a big question mark of how he would re- respond after that. Particularly the way he played at the U.S. Open, so he, you know, went from hero to zero very quickly, or zero to hero very quickly from the U.S. Open, you know, to the Open Championship. So, fond memories of that tournament.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful one and we will get into it, but but just before we do, we'll start this episode by actually talking about a nice moment that relates to you, and it's kind of non-golf related, and that was your wedding to your now-wife Kirsty in April of 2006, just outside of Auckland. Um, So Tiger came down to New Zealand for this, and I believe he was the best man at your wedding. So what was that whole experience like, you know, both getting married and also having Tiger Woods in your bridal party?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we, uh, it just, um, it was, you know, it was Hugely appreciated that. Uh, obviously, invited him. You know, he's a busy sort of a bloke, and it's a long way to come from um, Florida to New Zealand um, for a wedding and that. But um, you know, you know, he, he, it was actually the second time he'd been here, and you know, he, he loved the lay of the land here. He liked where we lived and great place to run, sort of thing, and you know, quiet sort of a neighbourhood. So, no, he, he looked forward, to it. And, and his wife, Helen. Um, she'd been here a couple times without Tiger. Uh, his wife and my wife became friends, and she'd actually been here a couple of times, you know, when Tiger was um, on her own. So no, it was great.
0: Oh, that, that's awesome, and, and that, that, they became quite close, didn't they, Elon and Kirsty? Yeah, yeah. No, they they formed a good relationship, which was was
1: you know, which was just great. The whole you know, the whole four of us became very close.
0: Oh, that's awesome, and and just in general, what what was your wedding like? Especially given it had that huge celebrity element to it, was that was that stressful or was that more just really enjoyable? Oh, I don't really,
1: you know, like I just looked at Tiger's just a mate of mine. It's <laughs> <sort of> <laughs> uh, been a celebrity, but I mean, it just brought a, we had to have a little bit of added security because it, you know, became, you know, pretty obviously quickly the tiger was here we were out running on the roads around here so you know it was obviously it became <laughs> news that the tiger was here it's a hard man to hide <laughs> so um we had to have a little bit of extra security at the wedding but i mean i just you know like tiger's just a friend of mine and just a mate so it was you know that was i don't look at him like they has been a celebrity he's just one of mine you know when it comes to off the golf course stuff
0: definitely um, now, not many people know this, well, remember this, Steve, but when Tiger was in New Zealand for your wedding, he actually participated in a celebrity car race because you're a motor racing champion of New Zealand, you're a car enthusiast, and he wanted you to, to show some support and you would introduce him to the sport of car racing. Can you tell us all about that celebrity race in New Zealand? Yeah, well, it all
1: started um, that they have what they call super stock teams racing here in New Zealand. Now, it's hard to explain what these vehicles are because it's uh, that th- these vehicles only race in New Zealand uh, and they have a similar sort of vehicle in the UK and South Africa, but they're a unique sort of vehicle, and they're built for what they call teams racing, um, and, and it's a contact thing. There's no rules. You stay on the track and there are no rules. It's, it's an incredible spectacle, and I'd showed Tiger uh, quite a few videos of the Superstock teams race, and he said, man, I'd love to have a go at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I put together a charity event. We had some uh, other New Zealand celebrities. Tana Umanga was current captain of the All Blacks. Greg Murphy at the time was our leading race car driver and a few other people were celebrities. So we, we had a celebrity stock car teams race, two races. And um, yeah, I put Tiger behind the car and, uh, and I'm behind the wheel of one of these cars. And um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, and I, of course, I, I was involved with myself. And when you get hit, full noise in one of these cars it really rings you. Know? and uh, tiger said he, he blacked out there for a moment i got taken into the wall pretty hard myself <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was a charity event it was run for charity that, and um yeah, it was actually a, a bizarre thing at the, the the facility the racetrack is uh not far from where i live but um the traffic getting there that day was just absolutely unbelievable it was packed out and uh, we had to actually stop on the side the road and get a helicopter to get into the place. We couldn't even get there. You're ourselves. kidding me, really? Yeah, yeah. It just um, yeah, like we didn't we didn't quite know how many people were going to turn up, but it was a massive event, <laughs> and it was for charity. So um, yeah, it was a huge And you know, Tiger absolutely loved the experience. Yeah,
0: just just on that, when you get trapped in that situation, how do you just call a chopper? They're not Ubers, are they? <laughs> no,
1: well, actually, it was it was. Uh, Interesting because on the highway down to this place, um, th- th- there's a facility that has choppers, and I actually a friend of mine. I know one of his brothers flies uh, one of those choppers, and that. So I actually just I rang my mate and said, "Hey, look, we're stuck here. And that, what, where, where's Glenn And that, and he said, "Oh, he, he can pick you up in like 20 minutes." He was actually at the depot, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we left that car on the side of the road and, and took a chopper into the place. <laughs>
0: that is <laughs> awesome. On,
1: added an element of excitement to the event straight away
0: this helicopter pilots picking up Steve Williams and Tiger Woods and taking them to a charity race? How, how did Tiger go behind the wheel? Was he pretty good? Because he is a natural athlete.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we, we when he was here the previous week, we, we went down and had some practice runs um, to get used to these cars. It's like you're, you're strapped in pretty tight because um, these things, when they hit each other, they hit, you get hit hard. And, um, you know, he, he was actually, um, very, very good. He picked it up very quickly, quicker than I thought he would. And um, he drove very good. You know, he, like anything, he has a good sense of things around him and, and has a good sense of timing and stuff. So no, he he was very good for him. They were quite surprising actually, because I, I wouldn't raise his skills uh, in a fast car
0: on the, on the highway sort of thing. But <laughs> <laughs> I bet you his insurer was uh, pretty stressed about that.
1: Um, I don't think his insurer actually knew to after the event. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, it caused quite a stir because if you actually saw what kind of racing it was, like it's full contact and, um, yeah, it's pretty rugged stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't believe they would have been too excited if he had to told them in advance, so he left that till later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I, I, I love hearing that story. Um, all right, Steve, we're going to move on to a, a much more sombre subject, and, and that's something that had been coming for a few years now It the death of Tiger's father, Earl Woods, on May the third, two thousand and six, after a years-long battle with cancer. Where were you when you found out that Earl had died? Because he was such a strong influence in Tiger's life, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I absolutely. Um, I was here. I was actually back in New Zealand, and Tiger's wife, Elin, called my wife, Kirsty, and told them the news and that. So, um, you know, shortly thereafter, we found out the funeral details, and obviously, we attended the funeral and. Southern California, but yeah, Tiger, obviously is well documented, very, very close to his father and uh, Earl has a great knack. One thing that, you know, Tiger was always able to do was any time after a round of that he could call his father because his father watched all the golf that Tiger played. And if there's one little thing that Tiger couldn't put his hand on, Earl could even, you know, nine times out of 10, he'd see that on the TV or something, just something minor. And he'd always have a, some great insight or great little tip. So particularly with the putting, when Tiger often struggled with his putting, um, Earl could see that on the TV. So he had a great eye for it. So that was, you know, going forward, that was something we knew would miss immensely. Um, or Tiger would miss immensely not having that, you know, somebody to call on when he needed it most when it came to his game.
0: And and how sad was that day, that funeral in Southern California?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the funerals are a strange thing. You know, obviously it's a sad day, but it's also a celebration of somebody's life. So you know there's two ways to look at it. You know, like I mean, you know, I always look at look at try and look at it as a celebration of someone's life. Think about the good things they did, think about what they meant to somebody and you know, just celebrate it. Yeah, it's always sad when someone passes, but you know, I think in the case like with Earls, he'd been not well for some time. So you know, it was only a matter of time before he passed away. And you know, you, you just think of the good things. He was uh, instrumental with me and um, and my wife in setting up our foundation. He sort of told us all about it and how, how you run it. Fa- really? Yeah, yeah. So. Oh.
0: Because of course, he and Tiger had set up the Tiger Woods Foundation. I didn't know that. So he he, he gave you a big helping hand in setting up the Steve well, Woods
1: it was Foundation. Well, it was probably his idea, to be honest. Um, he said to me one day, uh, when he, he said to me, you know, Steve, you're very popular in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> and he said, uh, have you ever thought about having a foundation? You know, it's great to be able to give back and sort of thing. And that and that's how it got rolling. He, he told me, all, you know, my wife and I, how, how to get it rolling. And Um, what we should look for and so forth now yeah he was instrumental so you know that that was a big thing for us
0: oh that's really inspiring to hear that i I did not know that and i know that the steve williams foundation has done some great things in new zealand so so good on you for doing that um now we move on to the masters in in, um in april and tiger ties for third um and phil mickelson wins and this is actually we're bringing it back a little a little bit here sorry but Earl Earl passes away in May, but back in April, um, things weren't going good health-wise for Earl, and and Tiger sort of admitted to trying too hard. He ties for third at the Masters, Phil Mickelson wins, and you said at the time it was the first time that you'd seen Tiger try to force it, Um, you know, trying to win that major, knowing that it was the last major that his dad would be able to see Tiger win. What does it look like when Tiger tries to force a major? Is it certain, certain shots, or is it, you know, not being as disciplined as he normally is?
1: Yeah, like when you're forcing it, you know, I think you get a little bit out of sync on the greens, mostly. You know, you you just and you're sort of playing a little bit more aggressive than what you do. Your strategy is a little bit different, but you know, you've got to let it happen, not make it happen. And he he knew that was possibly going to be the last time that his father would see him play in a major championship. And, And he just sort of instead of trying to let it happen, he was trying to make it happen. So making some you know, uncharacteristically bold errors that you don't do at Augusta. And then some of the putting, you know, instead of trying to lag it up there close, be trying to hit it in a little bit too firm, not worrying about the consequences of the missing. So it's just forcing it a little bit. And, and that is a course where you can't force it. So, um, but, you know, that, that was sort of an instinctive thing, I guess, where, you know, just something you, you really want to do, but, um fascinating to you know to think that when he had the opportunity to win four majors in a row he just let that happen he didn't force that but this was a different kettle of fish and it it really shows how much respect and how much admiration that he had for his father because he just wanted this one you know so badly but he, he like I said he tried to make it happen instead of letting it happen
0: yeah, can you imagine playing with that? He already has a lot of pressure on his shoulders, obviously. He's Tiger Woods, but the added pressure of trying to win one more for your dad, that would be um, something that I don't think any of us could bear. So if we move on to the to the U.S. Open a month after Earl's death, the 2006 U.S. Open in June, my fellow Aussie Jeff Ogilvie wins at the famous Wingfoot Golf Course in New York. Tiger, on the other hand, he's obviously devastated and he misses the cut. And it's the first missed cut at the Majors as a professional golfer for Tiger Woods. What was the mood of Team Tiger after that US Open?
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, it was an interesting week because um, Tiger took his boat all the way up from Florida and had a doctor there in New York and staying on his boat that week. Uh, yeah, just to sort of try and avoid a lot of things, you know, not being in a hotel and, and some of the, you know, because there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on that week and trying to be as low-key as he could possibly be. But... um to me, in the practice rounds, I knew straight away that there was just no way that he was going to make the cut. You know, after Tiger, oh, sorry, now, after after why do, you, why
0: do you say that? What's what's evident in those practice rounds? Well, he was just he was just so far off form. I've I had not
1: since, since the entire time I'd from him, I'd not seen him um, off form like at, at you know basically just you know you you, you get a sense of when a guy's going to play well and when a guy's not going to play well. But he was just so far removed from. What he would normally be playing, Um, so he'd had a you know a fairly long break following the passing of his father, and obviously did done no practice, and he was just completely out of sync. Um, Was going left, was going right. It was just, it was just he, you know, when he. For a long time, he struggled to put the clubs away for a day, and then he really you know, and then a week and so forth. We've gone over that, but uh, this was a substantial break without even touching a golf club. And when he got back to it, he just didn't have it. And and um, it was actually uh, it was interesting because I thought, wow, I mean, that's interesting that he, he's really lost it that much. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of stress involved because he's just thinking of his father all the time that he just hasn't got that option anymore to call on for his advice, but. Um, it was quite amazing how quick he turned that around. I, I, I didn't expect, in my wildest dreams, that he would turn it around that, as quick as he did.
0: Did that mean you sort of had to stay somewhere else, and and or were you all staying together? Yeah, no. I, I
1: was very fortunate that when, when when Tiger stayed on his boat, I always stayed on the boat with him. So, so it was just myself and Tiger and and the staff on the boat. So, um, yeah, that was pretty fortunate.
0: And the mood after that miscut, first miscut at the majors, was it, you know, was it positive knowing that he was going to bounce back or was it, you know, was it sort of almost a little bit of fear knowing how long will he take to bounce back?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, he he, he would have known inside him that the, the chances of, you know, competing and making the cut that week were were, were pretty, you know, the odds were pretty long. I mean, he, he, he knew it and I, I, mean, I knew it. I mean, he was hit, he could hardly hit a fairway in the practice rounds. I mean... <laughs> I, I was. We were out there early in the morning in the dew, getting my feet wet all the time, walking for golf balls in the rough. <laughs> so, um, but I think it was. I think the most important thing was just to you know get that event out of the way, that major championship out of the way, and then get back into the in, in, you know into the preparation for the next one. So I think it was just a matter of getting. A tournament under your belt. It's just a shame that it happened to be the U.S. Open. Um, He didn't play obviously after Augusta, and as the next event was the U.S. Open, I think it was just get that one, get that one under his belt, and and go forward. But yeah, I mean, I I had some reservation as to how long it would take him to get back to uh, the form that he's normally in. So yeah, it was pretty impressive.
0: At the time, how 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 long were you guessing it would have taken him to get back to being Tiger Woods, you know, champion golfer?
1: Well, that, that was at the time, that was an intriguing question because I just don't know who you know how much he was going to miss his dad and how long that would linger on. I mean, that was an unknown thing. I mean, I, I certainly didn't expect it to turn around as quick as it did. But then, you know, Tiger being Tiger, the opportunity to go to Hoy Lake, uh, a new venue, something that he was really, really fired up about, and knowing that, you know, he could put his name once again on that claret jug and, and also join some of the great winners that have been fortunate to win that championship at Hoy Lake Royal Liverpool. So I think that in itself was, you know, uh, something that helped to inspire him. And, and he loves that trip across the Atlantic to go and play in the Open Championship. He loves everything about the Open. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the US Open, um, but the Open Championship inspires Tiger, the sort of golf you're going to play. And we were aware prior to the event that the conditions were going to be very firm and very fast. Uh, and the weather forecast was looking great, so you know that was going to be a true lynx style golf. I mean, so that that I think you know the, that, that opportunity inspired him.
0: Yeah, it's it's a wonderful opportunity, the Open Championship, to to bring Tiger's creative mind out and potentially distract him from from the grief of losing his father.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're like you've really got to think a lot about your golf at the Open Championship and that. So that, that you know, it was just um you know, it was, he had. Um, following the US Open um, he played in the Western Open um, and finished second at the Western Open and he gained some very very good form there and also one thing that stood out in my mind from that tournament was his long iron play was as good as ever um, and that was a very very big factor in coming up with a game plan for the course of Hoylake
0: Chasing Majors is made possible by our friends over at BlueBet. BlueBet is the true blue Aussie betting company which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the US PGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first-round leaders and three-ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the Majors starting with the upcoming Masters in April. One of my favorite bets on the BlueBet app is Tiger to win a major in 2022, and I think we'd all love to see him make another comeback. So head over to BlueBet.com.au or download the BlueBet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. The prep for the Open Championship. So for those who are uh, playing along at home, the normal um, sort of routine for you and Tiger is that you practice at Florida, get the game sharp, get the swing sharp, jump on Tiger's jet, fly over to Ireland. It was all, almost always Ireland, wasn't it? For a nice combination of playing some Lynx courses, getting Tiger in Lynx golf shape, doing some fishing. You know, I think Mark O'Meara would sometimes come. But this year, you didn't You didn't go to Ireland. You went straight to the UK. You went straight to Liverpool, England, to start practising at Hoylake, Royal Liverpool. Why was that? Yeah, well, I think the,
1: the interest in that being a new venue, like by this time, Tiger had played in most of the rota, of the open championship courses. So this one being a new one, um, some additional practice rounds and and, and of course, you know, just I think the fact that he really wanted to do well. So he took the opportunity there to, you know, we arrived there Saturday um and played a couple of extra practice rounds because it, like I said, it's a new venue. Um, he knew it was gonna be rock hard and it was gonna take a bit of getting used to. Um so instead of going over to Ireland. Basically, when you, you know, what you're trying to accomplish when you come over the Open Championship is getting used to playing off very, very hard ground and hitting all these low shots in the wind. So, But he, he opted that time just to play a couple of additional practice rounds at Hoy Lake to, to make sure that he was ready by the time Thursday rolled around.
0: What would Tiger talk about when he when he discussed the firmness of the turf and how that would um, affect the, the crispness of his iron shots? Would he would he sort of chat to you and, and Hank at the time about you know how the angle of attacking of the ball needed to be different, or or how did he approach hitting off that that solid turf versus say the US, US Open?
1: Yeah, no, he, he loved to pick the ball clean, and, and, and when he, he when we went you know he, he practice in Florida before he was leaving to go to, you know either to Ireland before the Open Championship or he was directly going with the Open Championship, he would practice on hitting the ball cleanly. Um, taking the ball clean without a divot so you're getting a consistent flight because you you know it's very hard to take a divot in that very, very hard soil. But also, I mean, you can actually, you know, you, if you start beating on it too badly on that taking divots and when the ground's so hard, you can hurt your wrist. I mean, it's not hard to uh, do a little subtle injury to your wrist. So, no, just getting practicing on picking it clean, uh, all ball first, and getting it cleanly. Um, and that's a good, you know, good practice drill for playing on the very, very hard
0: fairways during the tournament week. So you get there Saturday, and, and during the tournament week, you walked the course and you saw the conditions. You know, were firm and fast, and you devised a plan, didn't you? Can you tell me all about that plan that you came up with and how you presented it to Tiger at the house?
1: Yeah. So we we, we arrived there early Saturday morning, and um, the the moment we got to the house we were staying, I was shouting some eaten straight out to the golf course to go and walk the golf course, uh, and then to, you know, that's like two or three hours. It was pretty, you know, like it's not, the first walk is just a walk of, it's, you know, getting, it you know, trying to formulate some kind of game plan and, and and have a look, and then come back to the house and uh, before and sit down and have lunch and tell Tiger all about it. So. You know, Bearing in mind that the previous event being the Western Open, his long line play was extraordinary there. Um, he was really on fire with his long lines. And, and I had a look at this golf course, and there was one thing for certain that these bunkers on this golf course are penal bunkers. So if you're going to hit it in a the bunker, there is no way that you are taking the ball from any of those bunkers, fairway bunkers, onto the green. You're coming out sideways, backwards, maybe a little down the fairway. So you bring bogey and double bogey very quickly. Um, with his iron play as it was at that point in time, I figured if he, if he eliminate all these bunkers, he's absolutely got a great chance here because he, you know, if he put some time in with his putting, if he could eliminate the bunkers and not have a three putt, uh, in my book, he was going to be, you know, he'd be right there in contention. So I went back to the house after having a good look at the golf course, said Tiger, you know, if you take the bunkers out on this golf course, you're going to be left for some longer second shots. I said, a lot of guys will take all these bunkers on and they'll have a, be playing a far shorter golf course, but but they will bring an element of risk in if they're not driving it absolutely perfectly. I like, said, so if you take all these bunkers out, as good as your long line play is at the moment, uh, I think it's a good strategy. So uh, we went out there and um, he hit a, hit, a, hit a couple of drivers, I think, on one of the first couple of holes, put that away and that was the end of that. <laughs> and we just, you know, he, he, he absolutely loved that game plan. And um, he, he did actually hit one driver, uh on the first day on one of those par fives, uh, 16, well, I can't quite recall which hole. It's one of the par fives there at the end, not the 18th hole, but outside of that, and then, then he never hit it again. So, I mean, he won an Open Championship, a major championship, hit one driver for the entire week and didn't hit it in one bunker. Um, and his long line play was was absolutely on key. Um, and it was a, like a striking of the ball, you know with the long lines that week was just extraordinary
0: just so, going back to that lunch what was tiger's reaction when you suggested to one of the most powerful probably the most powerful golfer who's ever played the game at that level hey i want to take your biggest weapon out of your bag for most of the week i want you to hit two or three clubs more than any guy in the field into the greens that week what was his reaction yeah no he, he you know he trusted my judgment you know
1: when i went i'd go and look at a golf course uh, he he would trust what I had to say, and he liked the theory. He 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 knew he he had researched the golf course a little bit, and knew the dangers of the bunkers there, um, and he liked my you know he 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 was great like that. if I if I presented something like that, he he knew that you know I presented it for a reason, and you know I would not have possibly have presented that to him in that fashion had I, had he not been hitting his long irons so good at that Western open and the practice leading up to heading over to the open championship. So, I mean, he was great, you know, he totally understood that and he liked the idea, Um, you know, of, of taking, if you, if you just take the double bogey out of play, and if you to take the double bogey out of play, you just don't hit the bunker. And of course, you know, when you're hitting irons off the tee all the time, you know, you're going to hit a far greater percentage. Like I've, I think I might have explained one of the other shows. If he hit 65% of the fairways or greater and did not three part, you, you, you couldn't beat him. So by taking the driver out of the bag here, um, and that was going to increase the number of fairways greatly to into the, into the 80% range. Sure, you're going to have the proximity of the pin's not going to be as great because you're hitting a lot of long lines. But he was on for me. It, it's so many uh, like impressive long lines shots that way. It was it was it was actually a, a treat to watch. Particularly given that some of the players that he was playing with were playing sixty, eighty, hundred yards ahead of them, and he's you yeah. know it was a it was a treat to watch.
0: Now Liverpool, uh, England at the time was going through a bit of a heatwave by their standards, by England standards, and it was firm and fast, like you have mentioned. Um, How far was say Tiger's two iron rolling off the tee that week? Can you remember? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean he can. It, depending on the height I mean that, that two iron was absolutely such a weapon that Tiger had because he could hit it at so many different degrees of height and low.
0: And, oh,
1: his, yeah, he was, a, like, he was impressed for that two iron. I mean, he could hit it 300 yards or at 200 yards. I mean, you know, with the, yeah, he was impressive. But uh, one thing that Tiger always did uh, is, like, if he was laying up from a bunker, he was laying up. It, you know, he wasn't taking a club that was coming up just short of it. I mean, you know, he'd lay up, you know, to make sure at the very, very best if it rolled out, it would still be 20 yards short of it. Um, so, he, you know, he took. He was very cautious. With, when you got a game plan like that and you are going to take the bunkers out of play, then you must take the bunkers out of play. You know, if the ball got a particularly hard bounce and it could end up in the bunker, that's what you can't do. You know, the worst thing you're trying and to do, and one of the worst things you can do as a pro golf is you lay laying up from something and you lay up where you right into
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Steve, this is kind of a bit of a full circle moment for you, this 2006 Open Championship, because it's actually the 50th anniversary of Australian Peter Thompson's Open Championship win at Royal Liverpool, 1956. It was his third British Open in a row that he had won and he actually got your career, your caddy career started. He was the first professional golfer that you had ever caddied for. Did you sort of run into him that week and have a bit of a word? And, and what did he say about Tiger at the time?
1: Yeah, he, he, he loved Tiger's game plan that week. He just absolutely loved it when I told him. I, I, every Open Championship um, that I went to, that I caddied in, right from the day I got started, uh, I would, you know, Peter was the very first guy I caddied for in 1976. And I would, Always look out for him, and we would always have a chat. It just became a regular thing, and it just actually ended up always being on Wednesday. We we just we, I always knew on Wednesday he he would be somewhere around the clubhouse on Wednesday afternoon, and I would always find him. <laughs> <laughs> we would have a chat, and you know some of those conversations were always interesting. You know he, he often told me that you know Tiger won't last long with that that motion. It's too violent, and so yes, yeah, it's set now. <laughs> he yeah,
0: thought like, Tiger's swing was a bit too forceful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, "You know, he'll have back trouble, Steve, and he'd always have." You know, it was he was great, um, th- great to talk to. But um, he loved the game plan that week. He, you know, I talked to him about it, and he absolutely loved it. And he he admired that Tiger had the strength to stay with that game plan. So yeah, it was always he was one guy just you know you, you just loved to see. You know, it was like like meeting the Beatles I suppose every time you know you'd never get sick of meeting them I just every time I got the chance to speak to him was just so good I had so much respect for Peter
0: in its 51st year of publication Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia reaching over 850,000 golfers every month Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf both locally and internationally Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, one of the legends of not only Australian golf but World Golf, five-time British Open winner, And like I said, his third win in a row in 1956, the third Open win in a row, was at Royal Liverpool. So they were celebrating his 50th anniversary of that victory. Now, Steve, Tiger was paired with... This is a hilarious group for the first two rounds of this Open Championship. He's paired with Nick Farlow, obviously an Open champion himself, legend of the game, and Shingo Katayama. Can you remember that group and how funny that was? Yeah, well, well, it was sort of an odd pairing, wasn't it?
1: Because... (laughs) Tiger's the number one player in the world, and, and, and you know Nick's obviously a former Open champion, but he, you know, he he's passed his glory days. And Shingo yeah. Katama's a guy from Japan that sort of just, you Where's know, he's... the
0: cowboy hats. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it was I think it was one of the strange pairings. Normally, you know, an event like that, obviously, you know, you'd be looking for him to be playing with two other players at the top twenty in the world, but <laughs> these guys were certainly nowhere <laughs> near that mark. So it was a strange pairing. I never actually asked anybody from the RNA, like, well, how did that pairing come about? Because it certainly yeah. wasn't torn out of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it, it was it was funny to watch on, on the coverage anyway, put it that way. Um, Steve, Tiger gets off to a poor start. He bogeys the first hole. Was there any concern from you that potentially this was another miscut at the majors and that maybe he was still carrying that grief?
1: Oh, no, no, I mean, you know, like yeah it's easy to do that. You know, it's obviously not an ideal start in that, but I mean, it's easy to do that in open terms. Particularly, look, you know, Tiger... Amazingly, can be as nervous as anyone I've ever seen, and he can hit. Uh, I would say, of all the professional golfers that I've worked for in my career, I've never seen a guy hit more bad tee shots off the first hole. than This guy does because he's, <laughs> he 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 gets so nervous. And why does he get nervous? Because he cares so much about his performance, and often he just want to get that first ball inside the golf course somewhere off the first tee. Just get it, you know, just get it, <laughs> get it off the tee somewhere find it and hit it again so it was no surprise when he could bogey the first hole but you know sometimes you get off to a poor start in that but you know you're in good form and you know it's going to happen and that's a case where you just let it happen you know you got some birdie holes coming up and you can make it probably you know possibly make an eagle somewhere in that and he's swinging good sometimes you know you just get off to a start like that and you, you, you never force it from there because there's a lot when you know in the back of your mind the guy is certainly in great form. Um, and and, and, and you know, me turned that round pretty quickly in that round. But it's it's not you know that's not uncharacteristic of him, particularly off, off the first hole.
0: Steve, you know that most people hearing that would think, hold on, how could Tiger Woods, winner of 15 majors and 82 PGA Tour events, get nervous? And he sort of don't, didn't really look nervous to the average untrained eye. But so he could get quite nervous on the big stage, could he?
1: absolutely that first tee i mean he 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 get can be very frightened on that first tee but that, but that's because he takes so much pride in what he does mm. and he just wants to get on the course and get going uh and, he, and like that first tee shot like i said i mean he's at some of the worst first tee shots i've ever seen off the first hole <laughs> <laughs> so but um yeah, it's just because, like I said, he, he, he gets nervous because he cares so much. He takes so much pride in what he does and that. And he, uh, and he just wants to get the first tee shot out of the way and get rolling. So, yeah.
0: Well, he bounces back. Um, he shoots a 67 that day to sit just behind the lead at five under par. He actually eagles the last hole. He holds a nice long putt. Crowd goes wild. How important do you think that was, that eagle, um, to settle those nerves from day one? How, how important was that eagle to the overall victory that week?
1: You know, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that was just a signature part of that. I mean, you, you know, when you finish the first round, you know, you shoot, the, you know, an eagle. You know, that, that, that last hole was a great finishing hole. And, you know, you could make a six or seven or a three. It's one of those kind of holes and that's a risk-reward sort of hole. Um, The longer the the tee shot you hit, obviously the the better the angle you got for your second shot, but also the the out of bounds comes closer and closer the longer you go down that fairway. So um, to finish with an eagle um, and, and just, you know, particularly when you're on a, the first day is playing late and the second day is playing early. And you know, so you 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 play late and you do a bit of practice, and that's you know, then you're going to be up early the next morning. That there's such a different psyche when you come to the golf course the next day, and you've eagled the last hole. So, you know, potentially, you you know, you you, you've turned a a 69 into a 67. I mean, that's just you know, it's a big edge when you when you particularly in the first round that after the start they made to finish with an eagle. So started slowly first, incredibly strong. And then, like I said, when you've got that late, early start, it's not that many hours later and you're back on the golf course. And your, your first memory is when you get back on the golf course and they say, I equaled the last hole. You know, it's a pretty strong thing. It's a bit of power there.
0: Yeah, it's a good insight. Um, the galleries went nuts when he, when he made that eagle. And just on those galleries, you know, these are some of the most sort of rowdy, boisterous, passionate fans in the world. They, these are soccer fans who are used to cheering on Liverpool FC and Everton in Premier League soccer games. What were they like to you, and and how did they compare to say some of the Scottish crowds that you had seen at the Open Championship while caddying for Tiger? Yeah, that's
1: a good question. I a great <laughs> question. Look, the, the, you know, the, when you play the Open Championship on those Scottish courses. Yeah, they are the most knowledgeable golf fans because you know Scotland's the home of golf, and even if people don't play golf there, they understand golf. They know golf. It's just to make yeah, it's quite fascinating. I mean, it's a bit like here in New Zealand. You know, rugby just is is the biggest sport here in New Zealand. It dominates everything. And even if you don't play the game, you understand the game. You know the game because you watch it and everything. And that's the same in Scotland. And they're very very appreciative fans, but they're very reserved and quiet. They have a nice little clap. Um, you know, and that here you come to, you know, these boisterous English soccer fans, uh, football fans and that. And, and the atmosphere was pretty electric, to be honest. Um, you know, you're, you're playing in in Liverpool and they haven't had a major championship there, you know, for many, many years. And it's a new venue and new fan base and that. And they were electric. I mean, the event was sold out. and the, the, It's boiling they were hot
0: and they're drinking plenty of Stella Artois beers. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was actually
1: electric. The fans were, you know, they're right into it. But you know, certainly more rowdy and more boisterous than what a normal open champs would be. But but it brought, you know, it it, it it sort of all went hand in hand. The weather was great. It was hot, like you said. The beer was spilling, and they're right into it. And like when Tiger made that eagle on the 80th hole, I mean, you could just feel it. It's just you know the, those big grandstands, that you could feel the ground shaking. It was pretty impressive.
0: That's so cool. If you combine those crowds, where this is a random question for you. But if you combine those crowds with the fact that mobile phone technology is taking off at this point, um, smart, uh, they're not smartphones yet, sorry, but camera phones, camera phones are now a thing. You know, most people's phones are the, the new phones that got cameras in them. Um, it's also the age of the annoying ringtone. Was that difficult for you? Because all of a sudden there's, there's a million people snapping photos and you can hear it. Annoying ringtones going off everywhere. Was that, how was that?
1: Yeah, that period uh, when, when all those new devices were coming into the into the fray and, and that was right at the middle of it. That was very frustrating, you know, having to always tell people on the tee and, 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 and often, you know, get Tiger to stop and, and, you know, tell the people you can't use those cameras. And that. Yeah, that, that 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 was a very um, sort of frustrating time in that because, you know, all these people, that are not, particularly at this event, you've got a lot of non-golf fans out here for the first time. They want to see, you know, Tiger and a lot of the great players of the world playing in their area um they're, they're not worried about the ringtone and the photos and so forth they don't, know, they don't know any difference but you can't hold that against them but um yeah it, it, it certainly for, for the for a period of though there uh, you know I, I was you know acting as tigers sort of police escort for a while there
0: <laughs> just on that was it was was that stressful over the years to, to have to act because we're talking about the most probably the most famous athlete on the planet at this time and you had to not only be a caddy, but basically a bodyguard as well.
1: Yeah, like you know, yeah, absolutely. Tiger had a few things that he he he, he disliked, uh, and one one thing in particular that that irritated him more than anything was when he was practicing on the range, either prior to a round or following a round. He hated us one of those swing sequences. Cameras that you know take us, you know, click, 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 click as he was (laughs) he hated that more than anything, and I had to be very vigilant on not allowing any of that and to the point where you know sometimes these guys wouldn't listen and i'd go and stand in the way then i'd watch out of the corner of my eye and see these guys and i'd stand so they couldn't get it but he hated that and i had to be very vigilant on that and get quite aggressive sometimes with some of these camera people because he like when he was practicing and he was concentrating he didn't that was a big distraction and of course sometimes it happened on the golf course um but you couldn't you know you can't on the golf course you can't be looking for that because there's so many cameras you don't know which one it is often but on the range now, um you can sort of pinpoint but um it's yeah. a
0: vicious cycle isn't it because you've got you know the most photographed golfer on the golf or golf course easily one of the most photographed athletes in the world and you've got the added stress of trying to you know make sure that those cameras don't go off in his swing that must have been hugely stressful
1: yeah, but not only. Also, you, you know, you're looking out for the other guys who's playing with. I mean, you, I always wanted the other guys that are playing to be playing on a fit, you know, on a level playing field. And that, you know, so they were in it. So a lot of times, these guys in, in, in those areas where the camera still made a lot of clicking noises before they all got the silencer on them. Um, so that, guys would be standing there, you know, photographers taking photos of Tiger from many different angles and they'd be oblivious to the two other guys on, you know, it would be it Thursday, Friday or the other guy on a Saturday or Sunday that were playing with him. So, you know, you had to sort of be, you tried to make the other guy feel comfortable as well and, and not feel like he's getting disadvantaged playing with Tiger. So, yeah, that, that, that was um, those times before they actually phased those sort of cameras and those phones out was very, very stressful times.
0: I could only imagine. So we're moving to round two, Steve, and the 14th hole, Tiger holes his second shot at the par 4 14th for Eagle from 212 yards. And at the time, it was actually Tiger's longest ever hole out in competition. Can you remember that shot, and can you take us through it?
1: Yeah, well, that was another one of those holes where obviously he's hitting an iron off the tee, and uh, he, he took an iron, obviously, to lay up from those two right-hand bunkers. But this time, you know, sometimes when you're hitting that low shot, it goes a long way, and sometimes it hits into the side of a hill or into a slope and doesn't go as far. And, you know, now we're left with a shot that, that the hole previously we'd, you know, we'd be planning on having a shot around the 180, 190 mark, and now we're back there at 210 <laughs> you know, with a, with a four iron. I mean, he hit just the most amazing shot, and that's a tough flag there because if you miss that green there, that was you know like it's a green not designed to go in with a four iron. It's a it's a green designed to go in with an eight or a nine iron. Yeah, you know other guys, you know you watch the guys we're playing with go going there with like an eight and a nine iron. We're back there with a four iron, <laughs> and, and he hold it. You know, it was you know it was amazing. You know, like we you can't see it go in. And, and it, was a, it was a pin that you just, you know, realistically, it was one that you probably shouldn't be taking on, should be playing a little bit more conservative. But I mean, he just did an absolute pure shot. Um, you know, we didn't know it'd gone in because you can't see it's a blind We're we, We're so far back that we've got a blind shot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how far back we're playing from on that hole. But the, the uh, footage
0: yeah. is really funny because Tiger doesn't know it's gone in the hole and he sort of looks around and he looks at you and, and basically asks, did it go in? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's such a you know a calamity of noise and that but you you know you're thinking well you're not going to hold a four iron on that hole it's a difficult pin but um yeah that was you know another remarkable iron shot that he you know he had like i said that's a four iron um that just sort of that actually sums up the week like i said you know you make a game plan to take all those bunkers out of play which is going to leave you a lot of long iron shots and you actually hold one of them i mean that sort of reinforces what you're doing
0: chasing majors is proud to partner with X Blades. Who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union rugby league aussie rules and netball the team at x blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year watch this space and keep listening to chasing majors well that eagle was the highlight of a 65 and tiger takes the lead at 12 under par and at the time, he's 65, actually uh, set the course record at Hoy Lake. But it was matched later by Chris DiMarco and also later in the day, Ernie Ells. And Ernie playing well also set up a mouthwatering third-round pairing with Tiger and Ernie. Uh, can you remember mu- much about that pairing? And, and how cool was it to-, to have, you know, two of the best players in the world playing together?
1: Yeah, look, it was fascinating. I mean, you know, I expected to be... Uh, a, a great duel because when Ernie's on fire, you know, he, he's obviously playing very well on that. But they, they they both struggled on Saturday. It was, it was somewhat uh, strange that the two of them, um, Tiger was sort of out of sync on Saturday a little bit. I don't know if, if, if just, you know, the thought of, of being to be in contention and perhaps win a major quicker than he expected. I'm not really sure, but he was just a little, little off on Saturday. But in true Tiger fashion, he hung in there, hung in there, hung in there, managed to shoot one under par. Uh, and, and put himself in position on Sunday. So I mean, he, whilst he didn't play his best in that he managed to hang in there. And uncharacteristically, I think he had two or three three putts on the third round, um, you know, which is very uncharacteristic of him on those Open Championship greens. But um, he hung in there, and Ernie certainly didn't play his best either. So,
0: yeah, they they both shot seventy ones, and and like you mentioned, Tiger had three three putts on the back nine that day. Did you ever see anything like that in your entire time caddying for Tiger?
1: No, no. I mean, like he was just—he was just a little off. And you know, like I said, three three putts is so uncharacteristic of him. I mean, that's—you know—I mean, he 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 hated three putting more than anyone I'd ever known because that's just giving <laughs> shots away. But um, you know, he birdied the last hole, which was good. You know, that, that put him in that final group on Sunday, and like you know, just like he did on on the opening round Thursday. You know, even though you've had a tough day, you close out the round with a birdie. Uh, And then, you know, and you're still in the lead and it puts you in a good frame of mind despite not having your best stuff, um, you know, during the day.
0: Yeah, it makes dinner just taste that much better, doesn't it? So moving day ends and Tiger still holds onto a one-shot lead, um, but he's got three big guns snapping at his heels. Ernie Els, who played with, obviously, Tiger that day, he matched Woods. Um, Chris DiMarco and Sergio Garcia are also within one shot of Tiger. Sergio actually holed out a 9-iron from 167 yards for Regal on the second hole. He went out in 29 and finished up with a 7-under par 65. This leaderboard was absolutely star-studded, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, once, you know, Hoylake is one of the great golf courses. Obviously, you'd seen the, the previous three times the Open Championship played there, had a stellar, stellar names won the tournament. Obviously, Peter Thompson won there. Um, so it was no surprise to see that kind of leaderboard and that. And um, so Tiger had a very, very impressive warm up on Sunday, which you know that, that gave me great confidence. To, you know, he warmed up really good. So the sort of subpar round on Saturday was quickly at gone, and he was, in, you know, he was ready to go on Sunday. I knew it was. I just had a great feeling about Sunday being a special day.
0: What does it look like when Tiger has a really great warm up session on the range before a major? Like, what what's what stands out about it? Well, just the,
1: you know, it, 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 every shot he hits has a purpose. You know, it's going to be left to right, right to left. It's going to be a medium ball flight, high flight, whatever it might be, low flight. And so when he has one of those warm-ups, every shot that he intends to hit is executed with what he's picturing to do. Uh, and, 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 you know, like when he's trying to move it left to right, it moves re- left to right nicely, not not a big fade. And he's trying to draw. It's just every shot is what he, what he intends to do. He does. And so I was very, very confident having watched his warm up um that he would be you know ready for a great day on the course
0: steve sergio garcia managed to get himself into the final group with tiger for sunday and it set up an amazing final round showdown which we just mentioned but sergio actually three putt bogeys the second and the third holes do you think he was a bit rattled by the stage from your memory or was he rattled by his own canary yellow outfit that he wore (laughs)
1: Well, I think everybody, including myself and Tiger, when he fronted up with that you what he had on that day <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that, if he looks back, I, I think he probably wished he'd never put that that outfit together because of course the crowd, you know, it's a hot summer's day in England and that and a lot of people have had a few beers to drink. I don't think they could believe what they're
0: seeing. So it's the last place in the world you want to wear an all canary yellow outfit, wouldn't you? With drunk English sports fans.
1: Yeah, I don't think <laughs> Liverpool, England, was the right place for that. Maybe St Andrews. I think could have got away with it. And he got a lot of heckling about what he was wearing that day. So he, I mean, you know, he, he got what he deserved, I guess. And you know, he didn't. He he quickly wasn't a factor uh, after, like I said. You know, he, he bogeyed two and three, so he dropped out of it quickly.
0: Steve Ernie actually tied for the lead early with Tiger because um, Tiger made four straight steady pars to begin, and then at the par fight, as soon as Ernie had tied for the lead. Tiger responded with an amazing eagle at the par five fifth. Can you remember much of that?
1: Yeah, look, like we had a, the second shot there. Um, there was a little bit of we had a little bit of discussion over the club selection there. Um, Tiger wanted to hit, uh, I believe he wanted to hit the three, and I said, "No, I think you can get the four there. Um, you know, you can land it twenty yards short on this to line that, and it'll run up good." And um, he absolutely hit the shot. You know, absolutely perfect. I knew it was going to land in the vicinity where I thought it would land, and and of course it did, and it trundled up onto the green. And he, you know, he, it was a great confidence booster because you know all of a sudden, you know, if if you make five there, you're one behind, or you make three, and you you know, you, that was a huge eagle, uh, to, you know that really took control of the tournament right there.
0: Yeah, you're right in saying that, because all of a sudden he was 15 under par um, and, and really in, in the driver's seat, like you mentioned. Now, if we move on to uh, this this battle on Sunday was actually all about Chris DiMarco, wasn't it? Tiger's fellow American, one of the great competitors to Tiger in his prime. Now, DiMarco was also playing with a similar grief to Tiger because he had actually lost his mother to a heart attack on, on the 4th of July, which is a very special American national holiday. So that was obviously... You know, losing your mother is always tragic, but on on, on the 4th of July in America, that's, that's massive. So do you think DeMarco was playing with a, a similar kind of inspiration, if you will?
1: Yeah, look, it was a fascinating battle, wasn't it? You've got Tiger trying to win a major not long after his father passed away. And then um, Chris DeMarco was always um, very, very... Um, I'm not quite sure of the word here, but he he was obviously fond of his mother like anybody, but he 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 made it quite known to everybody how much his mother meant to him because she just drove him everywhere. <laughs> you know, he, he 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 wasn't shy in telling us all about that. And uh, you know, obviously they're a close fit-knit family, but her mum you know, just ran him everywhere to every junior. I don't think she missed any of his junior events that he played in, in practice or whatever being. You know, he he was obviously desperate to do it for her too. So I mean, it was a, you know, it was a great story there. And once again, he he showed what a bulldog that he was, Chris DeMarco. I mean, he's a guy that just when he gets in contention, he you know he was following on to some great form um, from, from Augusta too, from you know a year or so ago when him and Tiger battled. So they they were, they were doing it again, uh, and also with it was something a little bit of a chip on their shoulder trying to do it for someone else.
0: Bulldog is a really great way to put it because he was such a fierce competitor. He he was so disadvantaged compared to Tiger physically. You know, he, his golf swing wasn't wasn't very pretty to watch. It was very much homemade. He didn't hit it. You know, probably within sixty yards or seventy yards of Tiger off the tee. Somehow he managed to take it to Tiger often on the bigger stage. How how much did Tiger respect him as a competitor?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. You know, what I mean, he, he 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 fundamentally. You know, his golf swing's pretty awkward. And everything, everything he did looked a little bit awkward, um, and and sort of not not what you call a gifted professional. But uh, he made up that with with some unbelievable, you know, his desire to win and compete.
0: Um, and one know, of the and, best putters ever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, look, it's a it's a shame a guy like that actually never did get across the line. Um, you know, he, he, you know, he he's like a Jim Furyk, you know, a guy that's just. Compared to a lot of guys, like, you know, if you sat down on the range and that, and you're not being, you know, and you're, and you're a golf fan and you're watching guys, he's certainly not a guy you're going to stand behind and watch play, like a bit like Furyk. You know, you're going to go <laughs> and watch, like, you know, Sergio or Tiger or any of these guys that strike the golf ball uh, as opposed to these guys. But, uh, you know, you take your head off to him and, and Sunday, he he absolutely took the challenge and, and he didn't back down at all, uh, Chris DeMarco. And, you know, like... It's just unfortunate, I guess, in one of these major championships that he didn't get across the line.
0: In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So, DeMarco gets to within one shot when he birdies the 13th hole just as Tiger is bogeying the 12th hole, but then like a true champion under the gun, Tiger responds with three straight birdies starting at the 14th hole. How incredible was that to witness?
1: Yeah, and I hit some quality shots there um, on 16-17. You know, he kept it off on the 18th, but, you know, like, he, he had a perfect shot there on the 17th hole there to make, you know, he, he, like when when the moment means the most, Tigers, you know, he always finds a way to hit an extraordinary shot and you know, under pressure when it means the most. He's, he's the greatest putter in the world. And those were clutch birdies. Um, just when Chris DeMarco was like, you know, he had one finger on that claret jug, Tiger took that one finger off very quickly and let him <laughs> put ten, 10 fingers back on it. So it was very exciting.
0: Steve, there's a really nice moment. So, so Tiger's basically, he he birdies 14, 15, 16, and he's got the tournament wrapped up because he's got a par 5 18th coming up. So it's, it's, it's in the bag, basically. And there's a really nice moment when um, the both of you, you and Tiger, are walking up the 18th fairway and Tiger gives you a high five, but he kind of holds on, holds on to your hand. He grabs and he grabs you around the shoulders to soak up this kind of cathartic walk up the last hole between the grandstands at the Open Championship. Can you remember that moment?
1: Yeah, look, it was a special moment. And, um, you know, I, I knew Tiger. I could just, you know, I was watching him a little bit and I could see there's a lot going through his head. And amazingly, as we approached the eighteenth green there, just for a, a split second. It was an overcast, sort of muggy, sort of a day, and the the, the sun shone through there for a minute through the clouds, and, and formed this. You know, the, it was an amazing thing to look at. And, and I said to Tiger, "That's your dad looking out for you there." and Wow.
0: Yeah, I, I got shivers then, down my spine hearing that.
1: Yeah, and I said that that's your dad looking out for you there. And then you know we got to the green there, and he putted out and. You know, he he was trembling. I mean, he he grabbed me and, and he was shaken. And then you know, I thought well, my first reaction you know, we're having a hug there and that, and okay, Tiger, we got to go and get the scorecard. And everything, everybody's watching us here. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and he just grabbed, he was hugging me. You know, he was just he was he was an emotional wreck. And um, it was you know, like no one had ever at the up until this point in time, no one had ever seen that side of Tiger. You know, he's a steely faced, determined guy that doesn't show very little emotion. And all of a sudden here he is on the world's biggest stages, just having a complete, you know, meltdown, if you like. You know, he's balling sort of thing and that and it, it just everything came out. You know, he 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 realized at that point in time, you know, I think all the memories of his father and, and he knows that, you know, he's not watching him here. He's watching from above. And he would have loved Tiger. Earl Tiger would have loved Earl just to be able to hang on that a little bit longer and, and and see his last major championship win. Um, and particularly at Hoy Lake, But, um, yeah, everybody saw a different side of Tiger there, including myself, you know. He, he was um, obviously off the golf course. We, we, you know, I, I'd been privy to some different things than that. But like on the golf course, nobody ever expected that and, and it was a, a very unique moment.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That's another moment on that very same hole. So Tiger pars 18 to finish at 18-under to win by two shots over Chris DiMarco. And, and, and like you mentioned, this is where it really gets emotional. He gives you a massive hug. Like you mentioned, he lets all the tears come out. And you point to the sky and you whisper something. Can you remember what, or, or was that when you mentioned, uh, was that when you whispered, that's Pops looking down on you?
1: No, I, I, I did mention that coming down the fairway. And I just, I just said, this one's for Pops. You know, you just you know, This yeah. is major number, whatever it was. And I said, this one's for Pops. Never forget it. Yeah,
0: wow. so it was pretty special. Just goosebumps. Because, yeah, you, you pointed to the sky and, and you said something as Tiger's boiling his eyes out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I just, like, I, I said to him when we were walking down the fairway and the sun shone through, I said, that's Pops looking down. And then when I pointed out, I said, this major, that's, that's for Pops, Tiger, that's his major championship.
0: Yeah, it's a, it really emotional scenes. That, that's what makes it one of my favorite, probably my favorite major championship ever. Ever, It was just almost like a, like a Hollywood movie, you know. So Tiger hits 86% of fairways that week was coming up with that strategy to hit long lines off the tee one of the proudest moments of your caddying career?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I just, like I said, it was just based on one simple thing that he was at the particular time. He was just striping those lines, and it was impressive to watch. Like, considering when you're you're playing with the guys that you're playing with and watching what they're trying to do, and every guy we play with... who was trying to take all these bunks on the drive and never played an entire round without hitting in one of these bunkers. And and that led to a bogey or double bogey, whereas Tiger took that completely out of play. um, And and just, you know, it was a fantastic week. And had he have not, you know, had three three three-putts on Saturday there coming in, I mean, it could have been, you know, one of those remarkable weeks where he could have, you know, obviously won by a a, a far greater number of shots. But, you know, his ball striking that week... um, was one of the best ever, and you know to win a major championship not using a driver. I um, mean that'll never that that'll go down in history
0: probably. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Using a driver once once in seventy two holes at a major championship is just phenomenal, and, and so is hitting eighty six percent of fairways and no bunkers. That's just insane at a, at a British Open venue where there are bunkers everywhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I mean like obviously when you're hitting an iron off the tee, you 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 you, 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 you know your percentages are going to be higher, obviously. Of course. But still, you know, I I believed, you know, whatever clubs he was using off the team, what my theory always was if he gets 65% or greater and no three parts, you couldn't beat him. Um, Okay, he did have some three parts there, but his percentage of fairways hit was impressive.
0: Steve Tiger said right in that press conference after that victory, he said, This jug will be filled up, I'll tell you that. And he was being asked about the celebrations. What was the aftermath of the victory like at Hoylake in Liverpool there?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that, um, we were all privy to having, a, having a, a swig out of the claret jug. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's, a special, it's a special trophy um, and, it, you know, it was a great moment. You know, I, 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 look, you know, I, I was just absolutely amazed. Like, you know, Tiger, I, I didn't believe he was going to get back to his form as quick as he did given how his form was at the US Open. I mean, he, you know, he, he played... Very, very substandard. Very unlike Tiger. He had no rhythm, no feel, no direction, no nothing. Um, and to turn that around so quickly from the, you know, from the U.S. Open to get it into form at the Western Open, and then take it over to the British Open a couple of weeks later, uh, that was impressive. I, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me uh, in two thousand and six if he had a struggled for the rest of the year. I don't think that would have surprised anybody, to be honest. But he turned it around quickly. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, he has a lot of tournaments that are very special to him, and, and the Western Open is one of them. He loves that Western Golf Association. He loves that um, the, the caddy thing. What is it called there at the Western Open? They have i just the um, the Evans Scholarship. And so, you know, following the U.S. Open, Tiger had uh, his next tournament was the Western Open. It's a tournament that he's very very fond of because he, he loves the Western Golf Association. As an amateur, he played in all their events. Um, and then he loved that Evans scholarship and what it meant. So um, he was very fortunate to have a couple of events that inspire him, the Western Open and, of course, the the Open Championship. So had Earl's passing been at a different time of the year, it certainly could have been a different outcome, but I think it was fortunate that that following the US Open, he had two events that he was very fond of and inspired to play in.
0: Can you remember what what beer you were drinking out of the claret jug that night? (laughs) Uh, I I believe it was Heineken. (laughs) Heineken, <laughs> awesome! One of the great beers of Europe, yeah, absolutely, of the world, probably. Of the yeah, yeah, it's it's consistent anywhere you go. Heineken, I love it. <laughs> Steve Tiger has now won eleven majors, and and of those three Open Championships, his first Open not at St Andrews. How do the discussions change about you know Tiger's chasing of Jack Nicholas's record eighteen majors after he got to eleven?
1: Yeah, like I mean, we we we're, we're, we're right in the stage of his career where, you know the whole team has no doubt that he's going to accomplish what he sets out to do and everything's just going along. And there was a little hiccup there with Earl's passing and so forth. And and and, and we've got over that hurdle very, very quickly. He's back into great form. Um, and there's no reason at this stage to believe that there was that he was ever not going to break this record. So we, 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 we're in full flight right now. Everything's going good and looking forward to the next major championship.
0: I mean, talk about the tear that he went on after that British Open as well. He wins four straight tournaments. After that, the Buick Open, the the PGA, the, which we'll get to in the next episode, the Bridgestone Invitational at Akron, Ohio, and then the Deutsche Bank Championship. Four tournaments in a row—that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, he he just turned it around quickly and, and and went on a tear. He is, you know, like I said, he there was at this particular point in time. There's no reason to believe that he wasn't going to go on and fulfill what his lifetime dream was. He was, you know, back in the form. He's working with Hank Haney everything's come to fruition, you know, the swing changes there, everything's good, he's got a complete understanding of what he's doing with Hank's new method and everything's going great.
0: Yeah, and I can't wait for the next episode because we'll, we'll cap off with the 2006 PGA Championship which Tiger won, and that formed one of nine victories in 2006. 2006 is one of one of the more underrated years of Tiger's career because, you know, he's got obviously got 2000 in and amongst there, but Steve, I can't wait for you to join me for episode 11 of Chasing Majors. Thanks, Evan. We'll see you next week. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.